The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. You're watching Squawk Box. Here are your headlines. The British Prime Minister blocked after a double defeat in the House of Commons as lawmakers vote yes to prevent a no-deal Brexit in October, but no to elections on Boris Johnson's terms. 48 hours ago, he was leading the chance of stop the coup, let the people vote. Now he's saying stop the election and stop the people from voting. Markets rally in Asia as China's Commerce Ministry says Beijing and Washington will hold high-level trade talks next month. The Hang Seng extends gains as Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam says she hopes the withdrawal of the controversial extradition bill will bring stability to the territory. Two-year Treasury yields hit their lowest level since 2017, while Goldman Sachs CFO Stephen Schur tells CNBC exclusively a recession could be on the horizon. Bond market is reflecting the sentiment that there is anxiety about the prospect of a recession, though again in the U.S., less evident in the data, perhaps more evident in a variety of different markets like Germany here in Europe, uh, but it's possible. All signals are go on trade. That's the message investors might be responding to today. Uh, what we've got, fresh trade talks at a high level are happening next month after what have been stalled negotiations, increased rhetoric, fresh tariffs coming into force over the weekend, retaliation from the Chinese turning to the WTO for resolution. However, conversation, that's what investors can now hang their hat on. And we've seen an improvement in US futures early on. This could reinforce some of the green we saw on the street yesterday. It was really a day, though, for the defences when you look at some of the elements, some of the components of the market, utilities, real estate, consumer staples, all posted record closes in session yesterday. And if you just strip out the performance of the S&P 500 so far over the past 12 months, up just 1.4%. Compare that to the sectors that I mentioned, real estate, utilities and consumer staples. You've had some of these sectors up about 20-odd percent for real estate, for staples, a little bit less, but still 14.5%. So it tells you about the concentration of some of the market appetite around defensives. If there is a trade deal or a trade resolution, you might see more breadth in some of those exposures. So watch the market very closely today as we could see another bounce. Uh, what we've got elsewhere, treasuries. Uh, the early call, uh, we have seen 1.5% on the US 10-year. Note uh, the levels this morning, as you can see by the two-year, still a little bit firmer. That's a spread about uh, two basis points, 1.48 on the two-year. But uh, so far, the spread between the two and the 10-year yield, uh, the uh, measure that many people watch because of that yield inversion, is uh, now at its uh, highest level since uh, the 21st of August is uh, the level that we're now seeing. But uh, narrowing a little bit that spread uh, just in the Asian trading window versus what we've seen in the past 24 hours. Let's take you to those Asian markets uh, for a quick look at what we're seeing across the board. The China news, very instrumental to the risk on appetite you're seeing. The Shanghai Composite in particular, 1.5% firm. Australia also trading higher. It was a big day for the Hong Kong market yesterday as there were early hopes in late trade about the withdrawal of the extradition bill that has been so controversial and sparked so many protests. Those negotiations happening late 
later Hong Kong time uh, to lead to the withdrawal of the bill. So the Hong Kong market just topping up today about a third of a percent. The Nikkei 225, as you can see, uh, well and truly out in front. Uh, this is a story where the Japanese yen, with increased concerns around trade, has been a real safe haven. But as any of those fears start to pull back from the brink and start to lessen, that is uh, very much positive too for the Japanese stock market with any fall in that Japanese yen. So let's just take a look at those dollar crosses as a result. We've got uh, dollar yen supported up about a tenth of a percent. So the dollar climbing versus the safe haven Japanese yen. The other trades across the board, you can see dollar is very much on the defensive today, falling versus the yuan, also falling versus the euro and sterling, but significant news around Brexit to unfolding. And we'll just dive into that, but you can see we've climbed very much off those lower levels where we had breached the 120 barrier early in the week. So this is all positioning around the prospect of a hard Brexit. And you can see from this level, the market has kicked out that prospect just a little bit. Do we call it the long grass or the, or the short grass just right in front of us? Jeff? Uh, well, it's grass, <laughs> whether it's short or long, uh, and it clearly tells us uh, that there are some concerns uh, in markets. But we'll get to that in just a moment. Let's catch up on this UK story. The British Prime Minister has suffered a double blow in the House of Commons, backed into a corner. Boris Johnson failed to win support for an election after lawmakers defeated his motion by 298 to 56. Earlier MPs passed a bill designed to stop a no-deal Brexit. In the last few hours, we've learned the legislation will clear the upper house by Friday evening, allaying fears of a marathon filibuster session aimed at derailing the bill. Well, let's get out to Willem in Westminster. And Willem, we have this remarkable situation now where apparently the opposition don't want to go to the people and have a general election. So is it possible at this point that Boris Johnson could actually no confidence his own government to, to force that election? Jeff, you could try, but without a majority, there's no guarantee that he would get that through either. Of course, what he tried to do last night was to push for an election through an act of parliament from 2010 that was designed to try and stop there being such frequent elections. But because the opposition abstained from the vote, he didn't get the necessary two-thirds majority in the House of Commons. The reason they abstained from the vote seems to be they're not prepared to allow him to have control over the date of this election until the legislation they earlier pushed through actually ends up fully legally operable with the Queen's formal assent, which could happen as soon as Monday. So we could see them agreeing to an election next week. But of course, Parliament will be suspended very soon after that royal assent is potentially agreed upon. And so what we've got is this situation where Boris Johnson is relatively understandably frustrated by what's going on. 48 hours ago, he was leading the chance of stop the coup, let the people vote. Now he's saying stop the election and stop the people from voting. <laughs> I, think there's, the, the, I think there's only one solution. Uh, I think he has become the first, to my knowledge, the first leader of the opposition in the democratic history of our country to refuse the invitation to an election, uh, Mr Speaker. I can, I can only speculate, I can only speculate as to the reasons behind his hesitation. Mr Speaker, I can, I, the, the, the obvious conclusion is I'm afraid that he does not think he will win. Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the Labour Party and the opposition in the House of Commons, rejected that analysis. 
and used a fairy tale metaphor to explain what he thought was going on. The offer of the election today is a bit like the offer of an apple to Snow White and the Wicked Queen, because what he's offering is not an apple or even an election, but the poison of a no deal. So, Mr. Speaker, I repeat, I repeat what I said last, ni last night. Let this bill pass and gain royal assent, then we will back an election so we do not crash out with a no-deal exit from the European Union. So let me just try and explain what on earth is going on here at the moment. What Boris Johnson would like is an election on October the 15th. October the 17th, there's a European Council. He'd like to win that election, obviously go to that council, say, give me a better deal, and then leave on October 31st. If he doesn't get a better deal, he would still leave on October 31st, he says, without a deal. But of course, because of the legislation last night, that's now not possible. Obviously, if there's an election on October 15th, Jeremy Corbyn wins, he would be the one going to Brussels. That's what Boris Johnson is talking about there. And then he would be the one responsible for the UK's Brexit policy. Because he no longer has this threat of a no-deal Brexit, because this legislation looks like it will go through the House of Lords and then get royal assent, as soon as Monday. Boris Johnson says he no longer has that tactic and therefore he doesn't know quite how he expects to get a better deal. What Labour don't want to see though is an election before that council meeting. They want to see an extension requested under this legislation that got through last night. That extension would most likely be granted at that same European Council summit and by having an election before that they worry that Boris Johnson will be able to campaign on take us out of the EU on October 31st, whereas they would then be forced into essentially arguing to the electorate, we're the ones trying to block that because we don't think it's uh, an appropriate way to do things. Willem, which uh, takes us beyond an October deadline, potentially on any snap election. How would that play out with the electorate? Because if there's more time for campaigning, more time for, for Jeremy Corbyn to be in front of voters, what are the chances that he will campaign well? And does the market need to contend with the Jeremy Corbyn government at some point? Yeah, there's a lot of very interesting talk about what the market should think of a Jeremy Corbyn government. And of course, it's a question of a no-deal Brexit versus a Corbyn government. Then maybe a Corbyn government doesn't sound quite so bad. And obviously, if he has to ally with the Liberal Democrats, things like nationalisation of the railways probably not going to happen because the Lib Dems won't allow it. In terms of the actual election date, it could still be towards the end of October, but only once Labour felt they had secured that postponement. And during that campaign, of course, if they don't have the ability, the Conservative Party under Boris Johnson, to say we are the party of Brexit, they're going to be very, very frightened about what the Brexit party, that insurgent party that launched earlier this year and did so well in those European parliamentary elections, they'll be worried about what that party will do to their own voter base, guys. Willem, but before we get to that point, in terms of uh, Corbyn's support within his own party, if we do see him move to endorse a general election next week, there's reports that there's resistance within his own party. So even if he decides to support this general election, will he be able to deliver the numbers? Well, that's a really, really good question, Juliana, and it's very difficult to know at this stage quite how severe that internal resistance is. And of course, it's not just the Labour Party that would be delivering those votes in terms of the two-thirds majority required under the Fixed-Term Parliaments Act. That's the legislation from 2010 designed to keep these elections slightly more spaced out than historically they sometimes have been. What 
will also be important is what some of the other opposition lawmakers, the Scottish National Party, the Liberal Democrats, what they decide to do. But in terms of getting that two-thirds majority, clearly it's a huge amount easier if a significant number of Labour MPs do vote in that direction. But a significant number is not necessarily all of them. Willem, thank you very much for bringing us the coverage as we continue to track uh, the latest developments. In other political news, Italian Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte has unveiled his new cabinet after Five Star and PD agreed terms for a coalition deal. The new team of ministers will be sworn into office by President Sergio Mattarella later today. Five Star leader Luigi De Maio will take on the role of foreign minister, while Roberto Galateri, a member of the European Parliament from the PD, will be economy minister. Shifting gears and looking a little bit more closely at China-U.S. relations, Chinese officials have agreed to hold high-level trade talks with U.S. counterparts next month. That's according to China's Commerce Ministry. Beijing says a meeting has been scheduled for early October following a phone conversation between Vice Premier Liu He, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, and U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer. A U.S. trade spokesperson confirmed to CNBC that a phone call between both sides did take place but did not confirm next month's meeting. Yunus Yun has more from Beijing. The Chinese Commerce Ministry announced today that U.S. and China trade negotiators will resume their talks in early October. Both governments have confirmed that Vice Premier Liu He held a phone conversation this morning with his U.S. counterparts, Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin. Both agreed to meet face-to-face in Washington as planned. Working-level teams will consult each other in mid-September to lay the groundwork for the high-level conversations. The Chinese have indicated that they are approaching these talks with caution. The U.S. imposed tariffs this weekend and plans more later this year, including on October 1st, the 7th anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic of China. Beijing wants all the additional tariffs lifted. The Commerce Ministry said that the two sides agreed to work together to create favorable conditions for negotiations, though it's still unclear if these talks will lead to a breakthrough for a trade deal. Yunus Yun, CBC Business News, Beijing. Okay, coming up, markets rise as Hong Kong's chief executive formally kills a controversial extradition bill. But will it be enough to stop the protests? And remember, if you just can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune in to our very own podcast. Head to CNBC.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to have a listen and download today's episode. And for our listeners, stick around for more. A quick look at the opening calls this morning as we get set up the European trading session. The markets are watching the news flow that there are trade talks happening next month at a high level between the US and China. Very positive start anticipated. Triple digit gains on the boards for the German and Italian market early on. We'll be right back after this. CNBC Signature Event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nansha, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors, and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit easttechwest.com for an application to attend. Hong 
Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam says she hopes the full withdrawal of a controversial extradition bill will help solve the current crisis and move forward from months of unrest. Lam bowed to protest pressure and formally killed the bill yesterday, although demonstrations continued after her announcement last night. Let's get out to Emily for more in Hong Kong. Emily, that's been the big question, whether this will be enough for the protesters. And it seems like the immediate response has been, no, it's too little, too late. So what can we expect from the demonstrators going forward? Well, we are still expecting uh, some more protests, Karen. And as you mentioned, uh, too little, too late. Uh, some other protesters describe this as a bandage over rotting flesh. Uh, for exact uh, uh, agendas or things that they're going to be doing, what we do know so far is, uh, as far as Saturday is concerned, there's going to be another stress test on the traffic at the airport. Uh, so basically, these are the roads leading into the airport and also surrounding Government House. The Government House is where the chief executive resides. On Sunday, uh, a march is to be confirmed, uh, but it is believed that it will head to the U.S. consulate, uh, which is on Garden Road in Central on Hong Kong Island. So the protests are continuing. I believe you are looking at some pictures, uh, file pictures. Uh, there were some skirmishes last night. Uh, usually most of the protests during the week take place uh, in the evenings. Uh, most of the major protests or the uh, the big marches are on the weekend. Uh, but this is all in response uh, to the Fugitive Offenders Bill, uh, in which uh, Carrie Lam yesterday in a, a pre-recorded televised address to Hong Kong people, she has formally withdrawn the bill. Uh, this is the word that uh, people in Hong Kong protesters were looking for. Earlier, she had suspended the bill. She said the bill was dead, but now she has officially withdrawn it. Uh, it was a four-action plan that was uh, highlighted. Uh, the number two segment, or I should say the number two item, is that the government is going to be supporting the work of the IPCC, that is the Independent Police Complaints Council, appointing two members there. Uh, they're going to be beginning direct dialogue with the community this week and also inviting community leaders, professionals, academics to examine and review the deep-seated problems and advise on solutions. She says uh, in response to her response being uh, too little too late, she says that uh, this action plan has to be taken into context. Uh, it requires a process of deliberation and it uh, should be taken together to help break the impasse, she says. Uh, should not look at any of these one items in isolation, uh, but together in order for the government to basically break the impasse and move one step forward. Now, asked, uh, responding to where the extradition bill had come from, uh, she says that it was the decision of the Hong Kong SAR government to put it forward. This is Carrie Lam, Hong Kong Chief's Executive. The decision is one of the Hong Kong SAR government. In the same way that the bill was introduced, the bill was initiated, introduced, and taken forward by the Hong Kong SAR government. But I'm sure you want to ask about um, the position of the central people's government, so may I just also supplement that throughout the whole process, the central people's government took the position that they understood why we have to do it. They, uh, they respected my view and they supported me all the way.
And that is Hong Kong's chief executive speaking to the media uh, earlier this morning. And that was after that pre-recorded uh, address to Hong Kong people where she had withdrawn uh, the extradition bill. We're keeping an eye out on how the market is reacting to this latest news. Of course, yesterday, the big rally that we were talking about where the market was jumping close to 1,000 points uh, in anticipa- anticipation of the withdrawal of the bill. Uh, today, we're seeing an extension of that rally, uh, albeit fractional gains. The Hang Seng Index up a quarter of 1% in afternoon trade, 26,583. Worthwhile to take a look at some of the heavyweight stocks. I should point out that the uh, Hong Kong market is being impacted by a confluence of factors. So we got the protests and uh, the extradition extradition bill as one item. Uh, We also have the uh, W, uh, the uh, world, the uh, I should say the trade war between the U.S. and China as another factor, uh, the triple R cuts. So the China-related stocks are getting a very nice boost today, but the Hong Kong stocks uh, are uh, getting hit. Uh, so as you can see, HSBC shares uh, down half a percent, AIA shares down seven-tenths of one percent. Uh, the property stocks also uh, taking some profit-taking today on the back of the more than eight to ten percent rally uh, that they had yesterday. Karen. Emily, just quickly, I want to ask you about Zara and the potential for a backlash. I know sensitivities are, are quite high about who's supporting who and who's behind Beijing and who's supporting the, the demonstrators. There were suggestions that there may be some backlash against Zara, the big fashion retailer, as it closed some of its stores because it was concerned about staffing measures. But uh, the Chinese say that uh, suggests support for the demonstrators. What do you make of the story and uh, the implications if there is a, an anti-Zara backlash? Well, that is uh, something that we're going to be continuing to watch uh, uh, the backlash on any of these uh, companies operating in Hong Kong or having a linkage to the anti-government protest. Uh, What I can say is that Cathay Pacific is case in point. just yesterday, we got word that John Slosser, the company's uh, chairman uh, since 2014, uh, he has announced his resignation, uh, therefore ending his 39-year career with Swire Group. Uh, basically, uh, he was a chairman since 2014. Prior to that, he was the company's CEO. Coming in to take his place is Patrick Healy, who will succeed him at, after the board meeting at the company on November the 6th. Now, what does this have to do with uh, is the Civil Aviation Administration in China China had earlier said that staff supporting uh, the anti-government protests are barred from entering China airspace. Uh, so that definitely putting a lot of pressure on that of Cathay Pacific because uh, not only do they run routes into China, but also that is the way that they fly in order to service uh, many other destinations like getting to Europe. Uh, so John Slosser is saying that he wouldn't dream of telling airline staff what to think about something and after being pressed to rein in on staff supporting the anti-government protests. Now, his resignation comes just weeks after uh, the company's former CEO, Rupert Hogg, also stepping down. Uh, So we do have a new set of C-suite executives coming in at Cathay Pacific on the back of these protests that have been raging in Hong Kong for the last 13 weeks. Cathay Pacific shares after a big rally yesterday down 2.8% in afternoon trade. Back to you. Um, Emily, thank you very much indeed for that. Emily Chan with a wrap-up of the story in Hong Kong. Uh, Let's move on. Let's talk about Hurricane Dorian. Well, in terms of the latest, Hurricane Dorian is moving towards the coastal U.S. and is set to reach North Carolina by Friday. From Florida to the Carolinas, millions have already fled as another dangerous storm surge is anticipated. The Cat 5 hurricane caused devastation when it struck the Bahamas earlier this week, leaving much of the island in ruins. Jamie Garola, 
Lola is in St. Augustine, Florida with more. A desperate rush in the Bahamas, where thousands are stranded on the islands of Abaco and Grand Bahama, ravaged by days of brutal winds, relentless rain, and a deadly storm surge. We need help. We need help. The scope of the devastation in the Bahamas is staggering. The Abaco Islands decimated. 45% of the homes there and in Grand Bahama are damaged or destroyed. It's deteriorating really fast, mentally, emotionally, physically, and there's a lot of people that are missing. But Dorian isn't done yet. Now off the Georgia coast taking aim at the Carolinas. It's a little exciting, but not quite Florence level of last year. Hopefully it doesn't do the same damage, but I mean, there's always a chance. Millions of people not taking any chances, evacuating the coast for higher ground. We have no idea how big the surge is going to be and what that's going to mean. And uh, absolutely, if there's flooding, we can't do nothing for you at that point. Forecasters predicting as much as 15 inches of rain and storm surge that could reach seven feet. In St. Augustine, Florida, Jamie Garola, NBC News. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.